It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. We want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. We're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. You're listening to BGN Radio. Oh, un flea flicker. Clement, a falls. Hombre abierto para la izquierda. Torrey Smith. Completo. Touchdown, touchdown, Philadelphia! Que clase de jugada! No lo creo! No lo creo! Ay, papá! Que clase de jugada! Oh, and uh, the good thing is, it is episode number 322 of the BGN Radio podcast right here on BleedingGreenNation.com, BGNRadio.com. Uh, Michael Kist is along with me. Michael Kist, do you know where area code 322 is? You know, you asked me this before the show. You know my answer. You offered me a dollar if I got it right. I said, yeah. I already got money, bro. I don't, I don't need to worry hey, about that. What is it, though? Hello, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, uh, as I think we have found our first international phone call, or at least since we started doing this. So hello, everybody down in uh, Mexico. And uh, I wish that, you know, someday the Eagles can go play in Mexico City on a, on a Monday night football game or Sunday night football game. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, more fun as we're getting right into it here. I mean, training camp's right around the corner, baby, and we're going to be there every single day. Uh, sweating bullets because I forgot again like an idiot. It's always around this time, Kist. I, I forget to buy shorts, and I'm just I'm hanging out with uh, a, a sweaty jeans, and it's, uh, it's a it's a fantastically fun time regardless of that. But every day we'll have updates from training camp. We'll get into a lot of different stuff, especially on this episode, including what we're looking forward to. But some news here early, Mr. Kist, as uh, Kamar Aiken – or yeah. Kamir or Kamar. I always, I always n- not sure which way to go, but... Um, Kamar Aiken, you, you had it right the first time. 
Okay, he was always a guy uh, to me uh, coming off of his 2015 tape when the Eagles wide receiving core was so bad and so terrible, and you were just looking for you know guys that were coming in uh, throughout free agency or maybe that was 2016, whichever it was. I thought he had decent enough tape to be like, okay, please just come in as a a cheapish option. And, and, you know, he's had some success. He's had some up and downs, but they go out and they sign him today. They wave uh, two others in the, in the process uh, to go and uh, grab him. What do you make of the signing? Because it's, it's going to be a very interesting wide receiver competition at camp this year. Yeah, number one, it's crazy uh, how certain ladies start to look at the bar when you're a little bit desperate. I think that was the situation back then. But you look at Kamar Aiken now, and even just looking at his stat line, his 2015 year stands out immediately. The question for me is, was that the result of some hidden potential or just a matter of being like, the only healthy guy with a pulse and a hint of athleticism because Baltimore, outside of Mike Wallace, hadn't had much in the way of consistent production from the receiving core. So there's 75 catches, 944 yards, and five touchdowns. They look nice, but he was rather inefficient when you dig into it. He was 25th out of 30 in yards per route run um, among qualifying wide receivers that played at least 50% of their team's passing plays. Then you change it to 25% of the snaps in 2016 because he saw less time on the field, and he was 91st out of 96. And then you look at his 34% catch rate. <clears throat> Excuse me, John. <clears throat> that was happening for a while. Yeah. <laughs> And then you look at his 34% catch rate in 2017 with the Colts, and now you're wondering what the hell happened. So guys that peak like that under dubious circumstances and then can't recreate that production on rosters that are conducive to earning snaps because of depth and talent issues really concern me. And I think he sticks around for preseason. Uh, if there is anything substantial there, I'd be surprised, to be honest with you. Uh, so I imagine his best case scenario is being like a 53-man cut once they come down. And uh, with that, I'd like to officially welcome Kamar Aiken to Philadelphia. Go get him, champ. Yeah, exactly. I will say, though, I don't think we ever give enough credit to the Colts being just a uh, the blackest of blackest holes at some point when you kind of look over what has happened the past couple of years there and uh, shouts to Frank Reich, except for obviously when the Colts come into town uh, this year. But um, I think you will see a, a lot of different different things happening just just clearly by not having a, 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 a the, one of the worst coaches in the NFL kind of run your system and that you know it's just there there is some uh some things to that could he be this year's Patrick Robinson uh, maybe uh do they need him to be no I mean this is this is what is confusing to me as I'm looking at this and saying you know we have uh, a lot of potential and a lot of hope for Mac Hollins just as fans as we're going hey you know like this was supposed to come in then you have Mike Wallace come in and then you uh, are seeing uh, you know Marcus Wheaton come in who actually had a pretty good spring and now you're you still have Greg Ward here Shelton Gibson turned into a fantastic spring from what he showed us last year so I really wonder if this is just yeah we'll give you a look the Joe Douglas connection is strong once again and it will just you know, fall as it may. I kind of think that's why Marcus Whedon's here as well. But to me, I think the wide receiver group is going to be the most interesting thing to watch in terms of, you know, the back end of that. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of movement that's going to happen between the starters, obviously. And, uh, you know, Mike Wallace is going to play a, a pretty big role already. So I was already geared up for him and Mac Hollins uh, type of uh, a battle, even though they're playing completely different positions. But 
I, yeah, I, it is. It is. I think to me, going into camp, kiss that's going to be the most fun thing to watch is just to see how this wide receiver thing does end up. Yeah, and this is a chance for Mac uh, Mac Hollins to really earn some snaps. That's why I don't think like Kamari Aiken, Marcus Wheaton, those guys don't excite me. I don't have a problem with bringing bringing them in as bodies. Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey's not going to play a whole lot in the preseason. Mike Wallace, other than getting used to the system, I and mean, he's he's a he's a veteran. He understands a playbook. He can read a playbook. He'll be perfectly fine. We don't need to run him through the mill and wear him down unnecessarily. So having these bodies is important to keep some of the guys fresh. And you know what? You kick the tires on somebody like Kamar Aiken, who had a year of breakout production or what looked like he might be breaking out and then kind of fell off. You see what's wrong with him. And if you, you think you can fix it and you start to see some signs, well, maybe you have something there. Uh, so I'm, t- I'm totally fine with the signing. I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. And then, we'll, like you said, with Shelton Gibson, I think his path to the roster is being you know, uh, one of the returners, either kickoff or with the punt return. If he can show more consistent hands in training camp this year, that would be big because he does have some take-the-top-off speed, and that's, a, that's an element we like to have in this offense. But, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. There's a lot of moving parts with that offense and a lot of people uh, vying for, for snaps. And listen, competition uh, right now to try and get some juices flown again to go try and win another Super Bowl is com- t- totally fine by me. So uh, wh- whatever it's got to take to uh, drive these guys a little more, which I think is basically what I'm what I'm looking at in in terms of that, like the the hunger and all that is is great. I think that's been talked to death this off season about the new norm and how it's where is the juice going to come from? Because you really can't use the underdog thing maybe for a couple of weeks or there's a target on your back and you're doing all this different stuff. The more people, I think, sweat for the jobs that they already know that they have just so they they, they get their heads right for the season, I think is a great idea. I'm, I'm thinking that's what most of this is in the back end of, of hanging around to like some uh, developmental <laughs> corners that they have have had on the roster for a while. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere with that anyway, so I totally understand uh, why they're doing this. But that's kind of the theme of uh, of 322 here is I know that there's a lot of people that do kind of the what we're looking for type of thing. So me and Kiss decided to do it just a, a slight bit of different. We're going to do uh, tired and wired type of storylines coming in to uh, whether you're listening to this bright and early in the morning or just kind of catching up from the daily coverage that uh, was going wrong down there. But I, uh, to me, and I, I even hate to say it because there was news about it today, the most tired thing going into camp is Carson Wentz. Hmm. And that's not because of who he is or what I expect. I think that there's a couple of uh, – somebody just came out not too long ago uh, where it was either net or some random online uh, publication that has Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Carson Wentz against the field for MVP, which is – pretty fucking cool like that i'm still getting used to that element happening in philadelphia but um outside of just the overall excitement i i this is this is to everybody and especially the reporters please stop asking how carson wentz is doing every five seconds and especially (laughs) to position players who don't give a shit because they don't at the end of the day they don't care ask them about what they're doing in their groups or something. Find something else other than, hey, Zach Ertz, do you think Car- – I know – it happens every time, Kist. I know you're not a doctor, but how do you look- how does Carson look to you? <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't matter. And honestly, I-, I know it's important to see it every day. I think that's fine. But to have the overall, how's, his- how's the knee? Is he going to be ready for week one? Just wait and see. 
Just wait and see. And even today where the water-carrying Ian Rappaport comes out and, and says whatever about they were contemplating on the pup list. Again, uh, within an hour of recording this podcast, I reached out to a team source and said that really wasn't even kind of a conversation. Uh, it was more just like the Philly-Philly conversation between Nick Foles <laughs> and, and, and Doug Peterson, except it's, uh, hey, do you want pup NFI? Uh, no, 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 let's not do it. And, and then you just move on to the thing because it really doesn't make sense to me. But me, to me, uh, the tired part of this is, Kist, is, is Carson Wentz and his health. Yeah, I mean, what are what are we expecting to find out from these players when, when we grill them like that? Because they they probably know the least about the situation. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah. the, the team doctors are the ones, and they're not going to say anything about it. The coaches aren't going to give you everything. He's going to be back when he's going to be back, and all signs are pointing to it being a successful recovery for him. He's looked great through every step of the process. This whole thing today isn't a surprise whatsoever. We got to let this thing flesh out. Uh, I understand it gets clicks and, and, and all this stuff, and you're just hoping one guy slips up and says something. Maybe you overheard something, but come on, man! Like uh, enough already. And really, with with Foles in the in the back pocket, there's no reason to freak out about it. So we can go a couple weeks, even if he doesn't hit that target week one start date. We're completely fine. His knee's not going to fall off. Everything's good. Yeah, like that's what if they if they feel it's necessary they'll do it and if they feel like it's not they won't. Pretty yep. pretty even. But that's it. And that's and it's 3 months of wondering will they or won't they. Now once it gets closer in the third preseason game I can see where it comes back up but man that is that is not uh that is not where my head's at coming into camp right now. The wired part of that to me Michael Kist is I I actually can't believe that I I know we've talked about it. It's not like it's completely wired but i have no idea what's happening with the secondary i don't have mm. a clue none and i think people put it into this easy category of it's jalen mills and it's ronald darby i don't think so i i think this thing is a little more open than people are leading on to be i think that there's a chance because what do you do with sydney jones what do you do with Brazil douglas what's happening with Devonte bosby what's happening with Devonte maddox what's happening with you know Everything that's there, I, I know it's a great problem to have, but now's the, now's the time to start asking those questions. I'd be like, how is this working out? This is a guy in the second round pick who sat out all of last year. Is he really not going to contribute much in his second year because of Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby? That's somewhat concerning, not uh, a huge worry, but it's something to look at. And do we know if that's how it's going to be? I have a lot of questions on especially Darby and Mills, because I think there are trades that could happen. I think there are people that could outplay each other and take, take people's jobs. There's, a, there's so many different possibilities that, to me, uh, I, I believe that this secondary is going to be very tough to figure out unless there's a move made here, Michael. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think that's the most important part of training camp this season. Yeah, we honestly don't know who is playing nickel cornerback. And we have tried out a lot of different people like, or, or earlier in this offseason, a lot of different people getting reps at nickel corner. Uh, you can have four or five decent corners that can play outside. It doesn't mean that they can play in that nickel position. And Patrick Robinson did a fantastic job for us last year and played a pivotal role uh, in that defense holding up throughout the regular season and uh, for most of the playoffs. Obviously, the Super Bowl is a different scenario, but I think everybody got torched then. Uh, hopefully that's not the same this year. But look, uh, 
Is it Jalen Mills? I don't know if he has the the athletic profile to be able to fit at nickel corner. I think he's more of a safety uh, at the end of the day. And is that the third safety role, or are we bringing Corey Graham back? Uh, who's making the roster as the third safety, potentially? Is it Jeremy Reeves? Is it Trey Sullivan? Uh, is Ronald Darby going to take the step forward that I think he has the potential to make? But as we all know, development is not linear, and we just don't we, – we, it's not Madden. You're not throwing experience points into certain traits and, and, and ratings and being able to upgrade them that way. I mean, that's a, that's a human I being. I wish we could, by I the wish. way. That would be so much simpler. <laughs> it, would, it, would be, it would be a lot of fun that way, and it would be a, a great for that secondary that's so young. We don't know what we have in Rasul Douglas yet. We, I mean, I love Sidney Jones coming out. We don't know what we have in him either. Uh, so Mills has got to continue to take those small steps forward if we're going to be successful. Ronald Darby has got to take that step forward. Uh, he got torn. Torched, absolutely torched in the Super Bowl after having a, a good run of play when he came back. I think having a full, healthy offseason is going to be fantastic for him, but we don't know. We don't know what, what the, the end game, what the final picture of this secondary is going to look like, and that is the probably the scariest part of this roster as a whole. Yeah, and this isn't a maybe John has information, he's just saying this thing I'm not the, the, with what I'm about to say. I honestly could see a scenario where Jalen Mills is not starting mm. or he's traded. You know, because when I think of the most valuable thing that they have as a trading commodity, and a lot of this is going to depend on how well everybody else is doing and how they evaluate whatever. And I get it. You're going, John, Jalen Mills is in, I mean, they might as well be attached to the hip with Jim Schwartz. You might as well, uh, you know, tie a, a, drop off all the Valentine's cards. Like, he's not going anywhere. That would be ridiculous. But listen, I mean, then you have, whew, somebody's got to make a decision then. You know, I mean, it, how valuable is Razul Douglas? Not really. Sidney Jones? Not really. Uh, Ronald Darby? Sure, that's probably where the everybody goes to, and that makes complete logical sense to me. Or McLeod because of his contract and you need to move money around? Absolutely. But if you've got cheaper guys here and you think you can sign Ronald Darby for cheaper than you can sign Jalen Mills in the future, or having, you know, the, all those decisions basically have to be made uh, into this year, which is... And we're going to have Which to pay is, those guys next year. Who's getting yeah, paid? Who's staying? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, they, Except for and, Mills. And, Mills has an extra year on his contract. But like, if you talk about trading like McLeod right now, I don't think it's financially feasible. Next year, it starts to become a little bit better as far as uh, what we'd be saving, but it's still not great. And then Ronald mm -hmm. Darby, like, you have to figure out if you want to pay him or not. So I, I and you have to figure out what you have in Sidney Jones. So I, I I see what you're saying as far as Mill. I I think Mills is the one that you could potentially move. Uh, when you trade Darby, he's got one year left, but he's it's not as enticing for another team that has to re-sign him after the season's over. With Mills, they at least have that extra year. Yeah, and there could be, you know, and that's that's been the other part of this too is maybe they are grooming Jalen Mills to take over as safety. I think that's more projection than right. actual information, but certainly. I can see that in a, in a in a bunch of different ways there too, and um, it will be uh, very interesting to how this how this settles out. Those are those are a lot of questions that need to be answered over the summer. Uh, Michael Kist, give me a tired and wired for you, sir. Yeah, tired and wired would be okay. So there's this uh, misconception uh, about analytics and I'm tired this is a tired for me I'm tired of people just throwing out the word analytics without knowing a gosh darn thing of what it means I don't know about you like have you seen anyone like really define how the Eagles use their analytics and in, in like a, a, a with advanced speak about it and how it can actually apply on the field nope nope not at all like I haven't seen in, in, in the structures other than like 
the only way it's explained is, oh, some nerds, uh, you know, tell it down on the headset and uh, explain it to him. And that's in Doug looks at that and just and just kind of goes with it. But I got to tell you guys, Mr. Kist here found some really interesting stuff back from March. Uh, and where was this audio from again? The the Wharton Business Radio Show on Sirius XM, which I can't yeah, believe is a thing, by the way. Uh, no, it's it's the it's the Wharton Moneyball podcast. If you haven't heard okay. of it, I'm I'm not surprised. It's uh it deals with analytics of all all, all different sports and you know the Sloan Conference and, and all that stuff. But what they what who they had on and how I found this was the the Eagles have an analytics department and they just promoted Namita Nandakumar from part time to full time. She's a quantitative uh, analyst, right? So I went to find out more information on her to see like what her uh, what her specialty is and the kind of stuff that she talks about to try to get some information on how the Eagles apply analytics because I've heard how we talk about it and I've heard about you know the player tracking and they can they can take practice data and they can see if a guy's slowing down or maybe hitting a wall or whatever but I wanted to see how it applied you know on the field how it affects decision making maybe if it had to do with our aggressiveness on fourth down so I find that she's on that Wharton Moneyball podcast in May and while they're talking with her they mention uh, a company called Edge Analytics and it's EDJ Uh, analytics and uh, their subdivision is edge football. So uh, they mentioned them and they say they had them on the podcast back in March. So I go back and I listen to that podcast. Now at the same time, I'm talking with somebody connected with the league that's telling me that the Eagles were the only team in the NFL to use this analytics company. Uh, Get which, the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And who is the only team that won the Super Bowl? Man, that's great marketing right there. Okay, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's a fantastic selling point. So I go yeah. back and I listen to that podcast, and this guy is basically explaining what what they do for a team. So what they'll do is they'll take 20 years of historical data, they'll dump it all in this database and before the game, and they'll break down the opposing team's coordinator along with self-scouting. They'll break down the opposing team's coordinator, their players, all these different scenarios. They'll run like 100,000 different uh, simulations of a game. And you can even put certain restraints or assumptions in there. For instance, let's say that uh, Wentz was out, Foles was out, Sudfeld has to play. So let's just say that Sudfeld isn't any good. I'm not saying he's not. I'm saying let's let's put that in the model. Let's say that we're, we're let's just assume we're the worst passing team in the NFL and they're the best pass defense team in the NFL. That model will adjust for that. There's all types of different scenarios that they can put in there. Let's say it's raining or snowing. They can put that in there too, right? So they can make all these assumptions and run all this data. Yeah. So what happens is because you can't use internet during the game, what'll happen is they'll get in a situation. And one situation that I heard them bring up and I also heard talked about was week three against the New York Giants, leading by seven, fourth and eight. On the ah, the fourth and eight. The, uh, the fourth <laughs> and eight, which still gets argued about today. Yeah, yep. okay. What'd they so say? Everybody remembers this. We took a six-yard six sack, uh, and everybody lost their freaking minds, right? So an intern at Edge Sports ran the numbers on it after getting some texts from uh, his colleagues, and he found that the Eagles on that play actually improved their win probability by 0.5%. And the next by taking day, the sack? Yeah, by taking by taking the sack, just by, <laughs> yeah, it was, it and was, not it was pun- crazy. And what and, and I had a, did, did did they say what would have been if it, they were punting? No, I didn't. I didn't get those, but I do have those on another very important play that that's going to live on forever in Eagles oh, lore. So beautiful. the next day, Doug Peterson in his press conference cited this exact point five percent 
number. So this is stuff that, because again, they can't use internet, but they're getting, so they, they've run the simulations. They they know the success rates on, if I'm on second and six on the 46 yard line, I've got a 45% success rate if I pass, if I go against this guy, you know, with this matchup, if I run, I've got a 34% success rate if I go to the left. Like, so if all these different scenarios that they're getting pumped into their headset and they're actively using these things. Man. So it's, it's, wild man and, and two of the teams and you mentioned before the Tennessee Titans the Indianapolis Colts as well since Frank Reich is going there they have signed up with this company as well and it's crazy because you know for a fact and this is what makes me feel good that Dave Gettleman for the New York Giants is never going to use this is never going to yes. use this the, yeah. These dinosaurs are never going to use it. I doubt Dallas is going to use it. There are teams in the NFL, like the Minnesota Vikings, their analytics department is two people. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers don't even have the Los Angeles Chargers don't even have an analytics department. It blows my yeah. mind that a, a Super Bowl winning team like this has invested money in a company. They go and win a Super Bowl, and they've helped guide them in their decision making in their, and, and validated the fact that they want to be aggressive on fourth down, and it paid huge dividends, and the league isn't like jumping up and down going, yeah, yeah. that's everyone one do this it's insane to me well and uh, and i want you to get into the because i i had listened to the, the the podcast back in march here too which has so many things that i want uh, kiss to explain the, the the biggest thing out of that which blew my mind when i was listening to it but just think of that now right this is week three of the nfl season and whatever pitch that edge sports gave to the eagles to trust them on this thing, he's doing it in week three. So yeah. I remember going back and hearing all the ridiculous arguments, and this is the day I actually unfollowed should I kick it here or whatever. There's that bot from the New York Times that says it's 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 you know fourth and eight from uh, uh, you know the Giants' 48-yard line. It's uh, really close if you should, should or should not. But that's outdated. Like, that's something yeah. – that everybody argued about and go, well, the chart says. That's not really analytics. That's not telling you if you're going to, just as Michael was saying, that's not going to tell you if you're going to win the game or not. That's just telling you, like, hey, um, you could probably make it here and it won't affect anything, or you could probably punt and it would do the same thing. But this is completely different. The, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very curious what happened if they made it there, what the win probability goes up, because if you said 0.5% or 5%, Point point five percent. If if they made it, it probably goes up because we've seen different scenarios like this. So we have a couple of plays that we can talk about, but it's probably like eleven or twelve percent that their win probability goes up. Right. And if they so punt they, and they down at the one, it's probably like six <laughs> percent. So, yeah, so they, and, they actually and, give away probability. And there's there and that's part of all of this. Like you you took a sack and you're your win chance actually increases, and that could be because your defense and how ele- that's what I'm saying. Like it, it is, or a decaying that, clock too. You can get yeah. the ball back because you you turned over the ball there, and that part that's part of it too. Like that that's the stuff that I really want to get into and have, get like my hands on this stuff because he talked a lot about too your pace of your offense. You know, you can have a nine minute drive and that's great for where to defense out, but you're also limiting the chance in which you had to score early on in the game. Later on in the game, you're working with more urgency and you're creating more chances for yourself to score. And the one thing about this that stuck out uh, stuck out to me when I was listening to what they were saying, and then going over the season in my head. And you're saying this now, which is new to me. I'm, I'm sitting here and going, oh, my God. Doug just turned his brain off and went with the numbers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what NFL coaches need to start doing. And the big balls Doug 
isn't as big balls as you think it is now. If you are relying on this and it's true, and it obviously was because they won the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, that's a that's a large part of the aggressiveness here. It yep. opens up, and I just start thinking, well, they had a historic third down conversion, and everybody was blown away by that. Why is that? Because it opens up your playbook. If you know that you're going to go for it, and it's going to tell you, hey, these plays will work better against this particular personnel against this uh, particular setup or, you know, to throw more intermediate routes because yep. they're missing X, Y, and Z here. And they did that. They did that. That's why they converted so many times. And you're going, holy shit. This is, yep. uh, from at least the outside looking in, uh, a bunch of proof that this does work. And it does. And, and they explained, and this is nothing new either, because I've seen high school coaches do this for a very long time. The, the percentages and win totals kicking it off and, and onside kicking are practically mm. the same. And the same with two-point conversions versus extra points a lot of the time. It's mm. really interesting stuff. Uh, we'll put the links in there. But tell them about the Super Bowl, Mike, because this was mind-blowing to me. So, okay, there are two plays. There's the, the Philly special, which happened uh, first in the game. So they've got fourth and one. Uh, their chances to win, if they kick a field goal there, they're not aggressive. If they kick a field goal... Yeah, is only raised by 0.7% if they kick and make that field goal. There's 90% plus chance that you're going to make that field goal. Now, with them going for it and making it, it increased their chances to win by 11%. That's a huge swing Big in number. win probability. If you put that data in front of Doug Peterson, uh, he's going to go, yeah, go for it. No problem. I mean, that's probably why he was so confident with, with, with doing it. Now, obviously, calling a trick play there, that's a whole different beast of an animal. I'm not sure there's much historical data uh, to run through a simulation on that. But the other play, uh, later on in the game, fourth and one from Philadelphia's own 45. Uh, that was a situation where if they punted it, right, and they downed it at the one, he said everybody would be high-fiving themselves, thinking, oh, this is great. That's that's a 6% increase in win probability. By going for it, they increased their chances by about 12 to 13%. So even though Good you Lord. punted it, if they were to punt it and get it down at the 1, you're actually taking away half of your win probability uh, just by not going for it, which is insane to me that some of these things – and there's there's one big example that, that I can give you, and people probably haven't even thought about it before, uh, and this is one that he gave. Let's say it's fourth and one on your own 10 in overtime. No coach is going for that, right? The public backlash – would be too intense if they didn't make yeah. it. But the numbers say different. They say you should go for it, and you're going to dramatically increase your chances to win. It's those types of decisions, along with those 4,000 decisions that we talked about in the Super Bowl, and uh, dealing with a decaying clock, uh, early game urgency, and so on that can swing your wing totals. And, and you can even look at a team like the New England Patriots, who are typically well ahead of the pack with these types of d decisions and are very aggressive. But there are four examples from that AFC Championship game where the Patriots could have increased their game-winning chance by not punting it and going for it. And I could talk for days about that game, which Jaguars fans will point to as why Blake Bortles yeah. is a starter you can win with rather than in spite of. But we don't have the time to delve into how listen, high school listen. offenses work. How about this? How about this? They're not they're not making the playoffs. How about yeah. that? Yeah, there's I, no way they're making the playoffs this year. And everybody can you know say what a fucking hot take and what a joke. They just went to the UFC championship. That team, because of all the other things that we learned, where the Colts are using this now too, and you have Frank Reich and Andrew Luck is going to come out in uh, against Seattle in the first preseason game, uh, the Colts will be the biggest turnaround in that division. Everybody go, wow, Frank Reich's amazing. But yeah, and the Titans already is, made the playoffs and they're implementing yeah. this stuff. Yeah, right. Supposedly, it wasn't it wasn't confirmed. I just want to clarify something because 
I maybe I misremember it correctly uh, incorrectly, but you were discussing the fourth and one the to get to Ertz, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I believe he said it's a minus six, even if you punt the ball at the one in in terms of win probability, a minus six percent versus a plus eleven percent if you were to go ahead or something like that. If, Maybe if I'm I understand correctly, it's a minus six because it was 12 to go ahead six if you if you punted it, oh, so the difference is 6%. Okay, gotcha, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a little okay. bit tighter. I was like, holy crap, that's a 15% swing. That's so easy to make. <laughs> okay, yeah, then that makes a ton of sense, and that's, that's huge there. It's very exciting that the Eagles implemented this because it, it when people are trying to take out the variance part of this, that's that's what that does. Yeah. In my opinion, when you are saying like, oh, we're just going to go by God, I thought we could get it or we're tough or whatever. It's not really the case. It is we we looked at all the data and literally the data said this is a good idea to pick out of these selection of plays that you yourself created to give yourself a better chance here. And and that's that. Now, I mean, like going for the Philly special and Nick Foles just running up there. Nobody right. Nobody told them to do that, but... <laughs> Still, I mean, that was one of the gutsiest calls ever to run that particular play, but not necessarily to go for it on fourth and one. It's altogether. it's like a, it's like an ass Madden feature that's like really 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 smart <laughs> is, yes. is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting too. It doesn't just apply to like fourth downs. And I just give one more quick example here of how the Eagles learn throughout the season. Right. So on, on second down and ten, after an incompletion, passes are thirty one percent more successful than runs. And teams like to run out of this because they like to get themselves in third down and manageable. And coaches are afraid they're going to face criticism because they went three incompletions and out. Fans are always ticked off about it and whatnot. For the Eagles, after an incompletion on first down and 10, right? So not fourth quarter, not uh, take out the game script issues with, with running the clock down at the end of a game. Uh-huh. So they, they ran the ball more than they passed in the regular season, despite the run for them being, or excuse me, despite the pass for them being 12% more successful. They flipped this on their head in the playoffs. In the playoffs, they saw that they were inefficient running the ball after an incompletion on first down. So what they did was seven out of eight times, they passed. And they went for 10 yards per play in an 80% success rate. So they looked at their analytics throughout the year, and they said, whoa, this is a big-time inefficiency here that we can improve on. And they went into the playoffs, and and they turned it on their head, and, and they had much better success with it. So this is a team that is very receptive to what the numbers are telling them. Yeah, that is uh, amazing to kind of – I can't believe people didn't jump on this, first of all. So good luck by you because this would have been like a thousand different articles for me in the off season to read <laughs> over and over and over again. But yeah. um, you were kind of leading to that already with a lot of like, you know, Warren Sharp. And by the way, you need to go pick up his 2018 Almanac because it is phenomenal. Yeah. It's got a lot of great stuff in there. Uh, he just slid me a copy, and it has a lot of this – uh, already demonstrated is that too, and I wonder now how many. And you know, you were going through earlier just all the teams that are doing this. Uh, uh, Jay Gruden is not doing this. You know, you already said the gentleman is is anti analytics for the most part too. I doubt Dallas does anything like this. So this is why, even if it's a downer year, they're still going to have. Hey, based on your personnel, this is probably the best thing to do. And it's and people don't get that twisted. That's not just saying like, oh, well, they just have a. They know ex- you can turn your brain off, and, and and Doug Peterson doesn't really have to coach. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what we're saying at all. It just gives you a better map of what's more useful. I think you even said it to me off the air. It's like having your own Ask Madden, except you're just asking yourself. Yeah, yeah, really. exactly. 
And one of the cool things and one of the best ways I can explain it to uh, the gentle listeners is as far as the aggression goes, and a lot of coaches are scared of this, but but this is this, this is why. There, there's two theories, right? So, John, before this gets too nerdy, uh, I'm going to hold your interest with this. I want you to imagine that I have two bottles of vodka, okay? okay. You, you, you had me at the. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So one bottle, I can guarantee you, is 30 to 40% full. The other bottle, I can guarantee you, is 10 to 90% full. Mm-hmm. Three out of four coaches are taking that bottle that's 30 to 40% full because that's the best worst case scenario. Right. Doug Peterson, on the other hand, is trying to get tore up on a Sunday afternoon like a red-blooded American. So he's that's more right. likely to try to take that bottle that's 90% full. So that's pretty much how that works. Those, those coaches are scared that they're only going to get 10% of vodka. Meanwhile, Doug is getting lit. That's the best way I can explain that's, it. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> needs to be on the t-shirt now. It's just like I, Mike, Mike Gro might be stopping by. We need a little more. You know, <laughs> and his wife might come by too. Press Taylor, quiet guy, likes to get hammered. All right, yep. you know, we need we you, need more. Need How do we bottle. find out to go get more? Exactly. So, and that's a, that's a that's a pretty good analogy. Go and do that, uh, Mister Kiss. You want to take some questions? Yeah, let's do it, man. Uh, our good friend uh, Neil Dutton and I believe uh, a bunch of different people were. Uh, Ross Miller was also asking just a just about Aiken in, in general. Um, does he get cut in the first round or? by the 53-man cut, and, you know, what do we think of the signing in the camp battle? I think we went over most of that, but I would say I'll, I'll take – I'm going to say Aiken gets cut before the 53. I th- Oh, no, it's down to one cut day. I always get, forget yeah. this thing. Uh, so I think he's on the outside looking in rather quickly is, is how I'll phrase that, Kist. Uh, yeah, I want to take the opposite just just for to play devil's advocate because I think it's either going to be between him or or Wheaton. They could you know get the the preseason playing time. Yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with Aiken over Wheaton. I, I feel okay. pretty confident with that. All right, I uh, that'll be an interesting little. Uh... Uh, that's like the fifth running back debate um, <laughs> for a lot of us, so it'll be fun. Uh, it means this a is, lot, John. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, um, uh, this is coming from Mikhail underscore Ice. You're in a bar fight against five guys. Yeah, I think we both read this <laughs> differently, <laughs> so we'll play both ways. Uh, Kiston, John, you have three eagles that you would have uh, fighting beside you. Um, Kist read this as beat writers, so I want you to answer in beat writers, and I'll a- answer in <laughs> players. But, I mean, if Jason Peters isn't there, why are we even fighting? Uh, and I would, I would pretty much take most of the offensive line. I think if we had Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, mm. oh, and Nigel Bradham, obviously, oh. no one's going to touch us. Yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> three. Yeah. So, okay, so it's me and you in a bar, and they got five guys trying to fight us, and i got to pick three other beat writers yeah. to, to, to help us out. Okay. I mean, look. I had to make a New Year's resolution to my wife to not get in any more bar fights. So I've been in this situation before. I know how these things work. Oh, oh great. Um, yeah. yeah well, since I had the baby, I've calmed down a lot, kind of like uh, kind of like God did when, when Jesus was born. So I'll go with I'll go, I'll go with Benjamin Solak. You always got the one friend uh, mm. that's there that's like, come on, guys, stop. Like, don't do that as you're, like, in the middle of just throwing haymakers. So you got to have that guy there just for the story. Do you? Uh, okay. I, All right. I <laughs> I feel like you would you're putting in Ben in grave danger if you're put if you're doing that. But that's fine. Okay. Kiss thinks even, you need yeah, a peacemaker. It, All right. It, it's even better for the story that way. Um I am gonna go with uh 
I don't, I don't know if Jimmy Kemsky would even jump in. I just want to have a drink with Jimmy Kemsky. I think that'd be great. So I'll throw Jimmy in there. <laughs> okay. Throw Jimmy in there. That's fair. Uh, look, John. Here, here's the deal. I think me and you, uh, most average five guy. I don't think they could. I don't think they could really touch us. So I'm not really worried about that. I got I got Remus and I got Romulus and I, and I'm ready to rock. So I'm not too <laughs> concerned with what we're gonna face. So we can have these ancillary characters working around, being funny and and being able to tell the story after the fact, looking well, then outside just in and saying, throw, I can't "We got these idiots." We got to throw in BLG just for intimidation factor, then, because like you know can he's I, tall. I'm not even sure if BLG can fight, but I mean, you know, that's good enough for me. Having a guy that's fucking six nine standing right next to you is usually uh, <laughs> usually a good sign. So uh, can I just right. throw like yeah. can I throw someone like Elliot Shore Parks like right in the middle of it? Oh yeah, sure. I bet yeah. I bet Elliot could scrap. But do you think Elliot's more like a Kyle or Todd type of fighter? And by uh, by say Kyle or Todd, I think you know back the fuck up, dude. Like one of those guys. <laughs> Or do you think he That's would scrap? I think I think Elliot's more of a scrapper than he is a Kyler Todd. Really? I see. Yeah. I haven't met Elliot yet, so all I know is uh, is from him uh, online. He gets he gets uh, it gets a little dirty with him uh, yeah. in, in the mentions. So yeah. now I don't know if it's I don't know if it's all talk though. We got to find out, Elliot. What do you think? Man, now we're now you're picking fights. Now we're with calling people. out Elliot this short is, parts. This is not what we were intending here. No, we're not calling <laughs> out any fights, Michael Kiss. You need to. You need to kiss your baby a bunch of times just to just to get rid of all the all the sins you just created for everybody. You kiss your baby. <laughs> you know what that means. Um, this is from uh, Michael Anthony Stokes. Uh, in my opinion, the Eagles' defense's ceiling under Jim Schwartz has been the best unit in the league, and at its worst, it's been historically bad. Any concern after having been potentially exposed on the biggest stage possible? No, because I don't. It here's the thing. Uh, it was Tom Brady. It wasn't the best game plan, but also I think Benjamin Solak had said this at one point, and I kind of agree. You know when you're in a shootout. Yeah. And there's what are you going to do? You know, you're just going to try your best to go <laughs> go make a play and get a turnover, and that's it. Leading up to the Super Bowl, um, they played phenomenal, and they yep. caused a lot of turnovers. It's just, you know, I think it, I think it was that. I, I think they're always in the running for a top 10 defense with this particular talent and this particular coach. I mean, when did they ever in the regular season, uh, the the L.A. game with the Rams was a bit of a track meet, but the Rams have a very, very, very good. Uh, not a lot of teams can slow them down. Right. I think they slowed themselves down more than anything in the playoffs, taking that extra week off, being rusty. They had the jitters. They had some special teams yips, and it kind of went downhill from there, and it took them to the second half to really kind of get their, uh, their sea legs under them. So I'm not really concerned with that. Uh, it's Tom Brady, and like you say, it's a track meet. Points are going to be scored. Yards are going to be gained. Uh, they made a big play uh, when it mattered, and, and that's the good thing. The pass rush was still bumping. I mean, the pass rush was getting – they were they pressured Tom Brady 38% yeah. of the time. Yeah. So sometimes Tom Brady is just playing on his head, and when the when one of the best ever in the world to play the game is standing on his head, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, man. So I, I, I'm not too concerned about it. Obviously, the highs are great when you play like the Chicago Bears and they have like their worst success rate that they've had in like I don't know maybe a hundred years of existence. But <laughs> uh, so so you have those moments. Uh, but it, I'm not I'm not worried about the lows being too low with this unit. Uh yeah, in in including well, as Scott Casimir said it best, do you, do, there might be some data suggesting that when if you only rush four and don't blitz and get to the quarterback, it's more effective than rushing five. Yeah, like no shit. Oh my god, that's that's <laughs> been it's been going on forever. Uh, you work for Football Outsiders, that's embarrassing. 
Um, these are people. These are people that. Th- these are the people that don't like Carson Wentz, which I feel right. completely fine with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Fahey's back too, as Jack Fritz pointed out in the counter oh, counterpoint episode number forty four, which you're going to listen to this feed as well. Uh, Nick Massey, can I get three underrated players from Philly in fantasy this year? Corey Clement, I think, is going to be severely mm. underrated in terms of ADP. So I would look there. That's my one. Do you have a mm. two or three? For, I would, Mike Wallace would probably be an underrated fantasy player to me. I like um, that. I like that. So I like the Clement pick. I'll, I'll expound upon that a little bit because that was going to yeah. be one of mine. Um, I think the Eagles are, and this is dovetailing nicely with our conversation before, uh, the Eagles are going to look back at their analytics and they're going to come to some conclusions. The first one being that they may have passed the ball too much on first down and experienced some instability there. Uh, numbers have shown that it, the, when the utilization goes too far up, you start to lose some efficiency. So that's what happened to them. They're also going to see that compared to the rest of the league, if they, in fact, want to be a passing team on first down, they should get their running backs more involved and lower their average depth of target, uh, depend on yards after catch a little bit more, and become more efficient that way. Also get the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands quicker, which they did in the playoffs with Nick Foles. Yep. They, they shortened the time to throw by like a full .25 seconds, which is very important. You go from 2.75 seconds to 2.5 seconds. It's significant in the NFL. And then, you you know, you have Darren Sproles coming you have Darren Sproles coming back, which might scare people away from that. Uh, and you'd have to be in a full point PPR league, but that's worth a late round shot to me. If Clement's going to be involved in the game plan like that. Yeah. Uh, I a hundred percent agree. And that kind of, you know, what's funny too is when, um, the, do you remember when Xavier Rhodes during the mic'd up thing, when that came out and he said, they're scheming us to, to hell or scheming us to death. They're screaming in the, they're scheming the S out of us is what he oh, said. Yeah, they're, very they're scheming the shit out of us. They're scheming the <laughs> shit out of us over and over and over and over again. And you're going like, oh, and that reminded me of the analytics conversation again. It's like they're doing everything. Yeah, they're, they're, they literally took your personnel, they scrambled it and said, run these plays, it'll fuck them up. And it did. Badly. Yep. Terribly. Historically badly. That's a great defense that they fucked up in the playoffs. And that's why he adjusted all of those things. Uh, and that wasn't from analytics. That's like, hey, Nick, do you like RPOs? Okay, great. We're going to put that package in and, and then run this through the model. Um, and, and hey, the success rate is really good, too. So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll go with another sleeper. I, I think this guy is kind of a sleeper. I don't know what his ADP is, man. I don't look at I don't look at the NFL through much of a fantasy lens all the time. Just uh, I have other things going on that I that I care about, but I play fantasy. So uh, I think Ertz gets all the love because of the eight red zone touchdowns. But Nelson Aguilar led the team in red zone targets and receptions while adding four touchdowns in that area. You saw teams try to bracket coverage uh, Ertz in the red area, and it opened things up in in the, in the short middle of the field for Aguilar, which is a big area of success for the Eagles that they can capitalize more on next year. That's what the analytics show. So we all know that he's a solid option already with Aguilar, but I think his viability inside the 20 isn't talked about enough, and I think you could see some increased touchdown numbers for him. Yeah, certainly. I would also say more or less like as a sleeper um, that uh, you probably want to put Goddard as your backup tight end and to see where, to, what, yeah. what, what happens with that. That'd be kind of... Uh, pretty interesting moving forward there. A good friend, Casey Young, and also uh, official, unofficial photographer now. Uh, would uh, would you trade Wentz if it means you're guaranteed to one, one, one more Super Bowl or two? Um, no, because the part no. of this is for me is that I like when my asshole is puckered. I like the opportunity, like not knowing whether or not. And um, 
Carson Wentz has a chance to be something extremely special here. I'd like to see it happen in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, what are we talking about here? We're trying to start a dynasty with Carson Wentz. He gives us our best chance to win. You know, maybe we win three or four with Carson Wentz. Like, yeah. I love Carson Wentz. I, 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 I wouldn't trade that. We have now. Here's the here's the thing. The discussion changes if we don't win last year. That that's the real the, the real question <laughs> yeah, for me. Probably. You know what I mean? If yeah. we if we if we're like in an alternate universe where we actually lose in the Super Bowl, would you trade Carson Wentz right now for for one or two Super Bowls? It might be an interesting question, and I pro- yeah. my answer would still be no because I'd be like, he's going to get there eventually. Yeah, you just don't want uh, that hate mail, John. You're a coward. You're a coward. I'm a coward. I, I, uh, I, I'm not going to say it either. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Deuces Wild, does Taylor Hart make the roster because he can play on both lines in a pinch? Uh, it's not going to be actually because of his froggy stance or his eliminated froggy stance, <laughs> and they, you know, that's why he's converted over there. I will say it was very interesting that he was second on the depth chart at right tackle, and that is that is a low key interesting storyline because of Isaac Salomalo is way behind. Uh, I think he gets yelled at uh, between him and Big V uh, by Jeff Stoutland the most. So. Um, yeah, I uh, Taylor Hart's kind of a still a, a a very like sub D or sub E plot in training camp, but definitely notice here noticeable for me here, Kist. Yeah, I mean, I hope like somebody like Weathersby or Pryor can step in and take that role because here here's the answer. I hope not. I yeah. hope he doesn't need I to make the roster. Not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's uh, you know who knows that could be another possibility of the plethora of. CBs where they're just like, let's reinforce our, you know, maybe they go out and get get uh, the next Jason Peters or, or you know, something like that with them. Uh, is it po- still possible? This has come from Rich. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm underscore really underscore rich. Uh, is it possible that people, people got to figure out how to name themselves on Twitter, man? There, <laughs> there are ways to get around this type of stuff. <laughs> uh, is it possible that a Nick Foles trade is still happening into training camp? Although Bradford to the Vikings, uh, if they've already declined a first rounder, what would it take? I don't know. I, I bet if they were reoffered that again from uh, from a, a particular team, that they'd probably be more up to taking it at this point. But I don't know. Maybe you know because it'd have to be a you know first and fourth and that's what how he said and that's what he implied mm-hmm. and yeah like you said somebody already somebody offered it did offer the eagles the first rounder and they turned it down so wow. that's 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 a lot that's a you know that i i think nick Foles is going to stay here and they're just they don't care that they're giving up the potential uh, value of it for next season i just think that's where their head's at um, you know it's you know it's funny that he mentioned sam bradford in that situation because looking at the cardinals offensive line uh, Sam Bradford may get Teddy Bridgewater in training camp, just <laughs> even in non-contact drills with how bad how bad that offensive line is. And that said, I'm going to completely ignore the question for a moment because, John, I wanted to say Nick Foles is still on the roster. It is now July 25th. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was I was right. You and Solak were wrong. And nothing is more important than that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's uh, I said that was probably like the worst move of the offseason. <laughs> is that they didn't move him. So we say a, a lot of things in the offseason. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and remember that uh, to mark every minute and second and remind us back again next August when you said what you said last year, because that's a really fun game to play. Uh, do you have this? This is from uh, C uh, at C Strider with two R's. Do you have any concern about too much of the team returning this year? Most positions are deep enough that developmental players might not get the experience needed for future seasons, especially after 
uh, once his contract hits. Uh, Kist, you can take that one. I have, a, I have a take on my own, and it revolves around the 2019 draft. Yeah, I, I'm not too concerned on it because I look at this roster, and the only spot where I go, gee, I wish this guy could get some more snaps uh, is probably the wide receiver position, which we talked about already with, with Mac Hollins, uh, Shelton Gibson. You kind of want to see if there's anything there with him to kind of figure that out. But other than that, I, I think that, that the competition that they have in those positions is, is completely fine. Um, I think the, the, the linebacker position, they've, they've got a chance for competition there to earn a lot of snaps. I, I really like Corey Nelson's chance to get snaps. Apparently, they promised him some extra snaps. Uh, I don't care for any of the guys necessarily behind him. We don't know anything about him. Like Camus uh, Grugier-Hill and uh, Nate, Nick Gary had like a combined 105 snaps last year. So I'm not necessarily banking on them to just take a sudden step forward. It may take them a little bit more time. But I do like what I saw from Corey Nelson on tape, who we got from uh, Denver as a, as a free agent. But other than that, other than the wide receiver group, uh, I, I'm fine with retur- returning a lot of the team. And, and I think that's going to be a good competition. I think it's going to be good for that group too. So even it's it doesn't bother me much at all. Um, speaking of that, the uh, I don't have a wired for this tired, but good lord, I don't care who plays it. Will I don't care at all. Yeah. Like I know, I know that's like a, what are you talking about? It's linebacker. I don't care. Start uh, as I said on Twitter today. Start uh, start Elliot there. I don't care. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, Michael Kiss is playing will linebacker. There you go. Done and done. It will have no effect on how that defense does. I'm more care. I guess the wired part of that is who is starting week one at Sam. Well, Nigel Bradham is out because that's more interesting to me right. than trying to figure that out. I wouldn't be surprised if Kamu actually starts the first couple mm-hmm. of years or first couple of years, first couple of weeks <laughs> of the season, and then it kind of rotates there. And Nate Gary is in there specifically for third and longs uh, versus uh, you know uh, other situations that they would be in. And uh, we'll just—it doesn't matter. I don't. I yeah. one one of them will play for twenty-eight percent of the snaps. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. The league plays 11 personnel, so three wide receiver sets, 60% of the time, mm-hmm. right? The Eagles played nickel defense 60% of the time. Go figure. So 40% <laughs> of the time is when we're going to need those snaps, and they are one-down backers. They are, they are run-down backers, and there's not many run-downs in the league anymore. So we brought Danell Ellerby off the freaking street to, to <laughs> play linebacker for us last year, and it worked out okay enough. Yeah. So. Not too concerned. I think Corey, like I said, I like Corey Nelson. I think he'll be fine. I'm not too concerned. Yeah, it's not to diminish the players. It's not. Right. It's. I'm just saying that it's in overall value. It's in man, oh man, we shouldn't yeah. be concerned about that at all. Um, uh, any talk of uh, transitioning Mills into the Corey Graham role, uh, if it worked out, it might solve one problem with the other. It's coming from Ben Parker. I think we touched on that a little bit. That's where I could see his future kind of being part of that or starting safety or something like that. Uh, for sure, I would uh, imagine that Corey Graham signs. He signed August third last year, so mm. he'll probably be back <laughs> around the same time uh, again. Uh, from our uh, uh, and, and make sure to a follower at Lovely Buckeye Alexis Chasson, uh, who is a, a large Buckeye fan, just bought a house and is also uh, doing a lot of great things on the blog and BlingGreenNation dot com. So about that, Cam Johnston fella, is he going to make the final roster? Yes or yes. And Michael Kist, I don't think hmm. he's making the squad. <laughs> what, by, really? By, by, by everyone's comments, uh, particularly Dave Phipps' comments, where, you know, we're not bringing anybody in, but also he's competing against the rest of the NFL. Um, I would say he's got a lot to prove to be the punter of the Philadelphia Eagles this, this summer. Hmm. I, I would think that his... I mean, it wasn't great spring. It really wasn't. It, you know, 
It was very average punts. Uh, they were kind of all over the place. There was a lot of yelling. So he's got a leg, and it's there. But I would say that it's not as solidified as everybody thinks. That's my take on that. So well, uh, maybe the uh, maybe the analytics company has found uh, maybe Edge Football has found that bad punts are actually good punts, <laughs> and we're looking at it the wrong way. I don't I don't know. I'm just trying to make it easier on Alexis here because that's that's going to be a blow to her if they if they cut him. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Uh, from a good friend, Thomas, who was uh, telling us that he traveled 5,000 miles from Denmark to attend the Super Bowl party at the Fillmore. Uh, that was wow. so awesome. I'm sorry we didn't get meet up. It was crazy in there. My question is, I work as a doctor. Wait, so he went, he went from the happiest place on earth to the happiest place on earth. Yeah, it's true. It's some, <laughs> I didn't think of it that way until you just said that. I work as a doctor at a GP, a general practice. I'm guessing that's what that means. Would it be unprofessional to have Eagles gear in my office, Michael Kist? No, not at all. Not at all. You got to let people know that you're better than them because the Eagles are world <laughs> champions. You got to. You know, that's an alpha move. And yeah. I'm all for alpha moves in the workplace. Yeah, you should have. No, I don't know how it works in Denmark, but you know, the United <laughs> States, they have a lot of suckers on your way out. And you should just have eagle suckers for people to take, even though that's like not healthy for you and whatever, or just something, you know, eagles, band-aids or bandages, something like that. Turn it to a PSA about candy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A PSA about candy. That's right. <laughs> da, 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 da. The more you know. Uh, this is from uh, our good friend Ted at... Uh, I don't even know. Sorry, Ted. I, I don't know how you want me to pronounce that. Which, uh, oh, it's not your fault. I'm dumb. Which UDFA or second year man do you see making an impact on the team? Uh, maybe rotational doesn't have to be a starter, Michael Kist. Uh, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark at a guy that I saw live in, at the Senior Bowl from South Alabama, safety Jeremy Reeves, Ooh, uh, making yeah. a play for for the roster. I know he's got Trey Sullivan to battle with and potentially Jalen Mills and maybe Corey Graham is coming back from the dead. Who knows? Uh, but I really like what I saw from Mills. There were two days of, out of the three days of practice where you could argue he was the best safety on the field in those drills. Made 14 tackles in the game. Uh, good kid. Great backstory. Go read up on him. Uh, uh, almost uh, was told that he was never going to walk again or something like that. Had a, had a very bad yeah. neck injury a while ago. Uh, so I, I like Reeves. I'm rooting for Reeves. I, I loved him in, in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and uh, I would like to see him uh, make this roster. Yeah, you took mine, which was going to be Trey Sullivan, because just talking mm. to him for over the spring, you can just tell he's major focus is not only just developing and learning of the defense, which that's what everybody's going to tell you, but um, you know he recognized instantly how much better he needs to be in coverage, and I think that's shown so far in the spring. At a really solid spring is a, just a total bookworm when it comes to going over things. Like he's got his iPad, he's talking to a lot of a lot of the other rookies, a lot of the other veterans, and things like that. He's going play by play. What do I do here? What's this? Oh no, you're doing this. I'm doing that. So I, Trey Sullivan's a guy that is, uh, I think, can. You know, I mean, Corey Graham's going to get signed, and then all our takes are going to be ruined. But like, if if that if, if that doesn't happen, I, I would I would agree that those two are are kind of the ones to look for here. Uh, uh, Teron Davenport's big on Trey Sullivan, isn't he? Uh, he is, and uh, we can. Uh, I was going to save it for the end, but ah. congratulations to Teron on uh, on landing the ESPN Nashville gig. How about that? So unfortunately, that means uh, no next level podcast, but maybe he can. Still next level it up with Mariota and everybody uh, uh, down in Nashville. So we're uh, we're sad to miss him, but he uh, Teron was such a fantastic guy and um, just really knowledgeable, really easy to get along with. One of the hardest working guys I've met in Philadelphia, 
and uh, he's going to crush it down there in Nashville. They're not going to know what to do with him. And I can't wait to actually read his mentions once he says, like, Mariota actually sucks or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's 2018. Find a way to get him in your earballs, man. Yeah, he's, seriously. He's a good dude. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> going, going from the very serious to the very unserious with Tommy G <laughs> at Horny for Life 26, uh, top five ice cream flavors. Ooh, um, I think I think our friendship is dependent on this, John. You want to go first? Yeah. So I mean, I know my hottest take. Number one is vanilla, and and I love vanilla ice cream, and you should always have it in your freezer. Um, I would say half baked has to be in my top five from Ben and Jerry's because that's phenomenal. Um, Any type of cookie dough. Yes, any peanut butter ribbon. Yes, like I'm not very particular because I love a lot of different ice cream. I would say that uh, Swiss almond vanilla is underrated. Um, and I would Rocky say. Rocky Road, you were Rocky Road. Oh my God, I love Rocky Road, especially. Rocky but Road. not the motherfuckers, and I'm sorry. Uh, I won't mention any labels just in case they want to sponsor us in the future. But not the motherfuckers that put the marshmallow ribbon now in it instead of actual marshmallows. You dumbasses. Oh. You're ruining a great ice cream by doing that. But yeah, I'm a yeah. huge Rocky Road guy. I love Rocky Road. How about you? Yeah. No, uh, number one, I want to congratulate you to uh, – we've been recording for about 58 minutes now. You made it 58 minutes without uh, cursing or dropping an F-bomb. I can't remember if you cursed earlier. But I, want <laughs> I, to I did curse, but, you but no fucks until now. Yeah. <laughs> no fucks. Uh, so chocolate chip cookie dough, a- any one of those is my number one. Yeah. Uh, a very close with vanilla. I agree. You should have vanilla at the very least. It's, it's very – it's a low floor – sorry, it's a high floor – uh, low ceiling type of ice cream, uh, but the Briars is very good. I'm very partial to it, so yeah, uh, that would be my number two. Uh, cookies and cream is up there. Then you're yeah. getting into your like your basic chocolates and, and and your Rocky Road. Your Rocky Road is right there, unless it has that stripe of of marshmallow through there. So I think me and you are pretty uh pretty close. I'm not a big ice cream guy. Don't need a whole lot of ice cream, but uh, when I do, man, chocolate chip cookie dough is uh any anything with cookie dough in it. That's yeah. my jam, or anything that can taste like a, uh, what like a like with a strawberry or like a banana or something mm. like that. You go to a special like Stone Cold Cream or something like that, and get yourself like a like a banana milkshake type. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of strawberries and banana goes well together for me and ice cream. Yeah, and that's what to me that's what's great about vanilla ice cream is because it's fantastic on its own, and you can make so many different flavor profiles off of that because. Yeah. Plain like vanilla is bullshit, everybody. Okay, vanilla is a fantastic flavor, and you can mold it into a lot of different ways as well. You don't need other shit to enhance it, but you can, uh, yeah, just like you're saying with the strawberries and all this, is so, so, so good. Uh, Matt Gumbrecht wanted to know who is going to have the best entrance into training camp. I don't think that uh, they already arrived well, AB came today. in and went a, a private shopper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You I see that meant, from Antonio Brown? I, I did, I did. But not from uh, from the Eagle side. Uh, if they're just, I, I saw a couple of them walking in today, and then it was just walking in like it was business as usual. So um, maybe maybe Lane, I would say Lane Johnson's probably might have something, but other than that, I don't yeah. I don't think so. You think Kelsey's coming in like the Mummers costume still? You think he's no. taking it off since? Have you seen him since? Um, uh, I saw a video of him last night playing sax at the. Uh, at the Man Theater for the uh, the Super Bowl orchestra thing, which was looked really cool, but yeah, I've been I've been that makes a lot of sense. sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, uh, oh, Papa Rog. Uh, <laughs> What's a Papa Rog? Uh, so this is uh, has never John Barchard never explained why he no longer plays or owns drums. So I kind of own drums right now, but it's actually from uh, the rock star himself, Patrick Wall, who gave me his old kit. 
that's mixed and it's not really all put together. But he gave me so much shit, and it's awesome. Like DW pedals and you know all these different Thompson snares that just needs a bass drum and a rack and and some things to go along with it. So I will eventually put that together. Um, and I, I miss playing them uh, all the time. I still have a practice pad that I use <laughs> a lot, but uh, I mean, well, uh, I. Yeah, I no longer play because I got burnt out, man. I mean, like, I just, oh, God, I can't. I, I did what Patrick did unsuccessfully. And when you're doing uh, band <laughs> stuff unsuccessfully, playing in front of, like, 12 people that thought you were going to play. A little soul-crushing. Bon, bon Jovi covers, and then they kept <laughs> screaming at you. You're going like, oh, hello, West Lafayette, Indiana. Thanks again for having us. And uh, and and I just kind of wrapped it up, but I love the drum still. That's why Whiplash is still one of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, so this Papa guy wants to know why you're not playing the drums. I want to I want to know why we don't play Nightcrawlers anymore, John. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know what Nightcrawlers is, but I love. It made me laugh. Um, what is Nightcrawlers? Oh well, I mean it's exactly what it sounds like. But I'm kind of equating it to uh, playing. We got to we got to hook up and play some uh, some Xbox One some. Uh, some shooters. We gotta kill some people at oh, some point. I saw that. I got a lot of rage built up. Yeah, in me. I saw you driving uh, irresponsibly in video games. Is our good friend Mark Schofield? <laughs> it's okay to drunk drive <laughs> in video games. It is. It really is. <laughs> Last question come from Rodney Jackson. When looking at the 2019 offseason and assuming thing, every, assuming everything goes wrong with our free agents, how would you rank our positions of need from most to least important heading into 2019, Michael Kiss? That, that that question hurts my brain a little bit. So assuming uh, the free agents that free agents that don't work added, out, they don't re-sign them, and then let's just assume that they have got to make decisions on. I mean, Rodney McLeod is 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 up at that point. Jay Ajayi, Ronald Darby. In that in that regard, maybe I don't know. Like if they're not planning on re-signing <laughs> any of those guys, what would you do in the draft class in 2019? Yeah, I mean, if a Jai is not back, then you're looking for a, a physical in between the uh, in between the tackles type type runner. So I guess you're looking at that. I can't wait to have the conversation about whether or not you'd spend a first round pick on a freaking running back, even though it's pick 32 and basically a second round pick. I don't look forward They're, to that the, at all. Well, here the Eagles are not going to do it ever, so we can put that one away. They're never going never to in do history, it. not in this regime, uh, not in any regime. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> So we can. I, that I will try my hardest never to mention that again on this particular podcast. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go tackle. That's that's what I'll go. I'll go, I'll go tackle because yeah. I've been pounding the table for tackle for the past couple of years. Peters will be. Uh, Peters is probably gonna retire after this year. I mean, why not? Uh, we're gonna win another Super Bowl. He's gonna he's gonna hang him up. And Halapuli uh, Vati Vaitai is a is a valuable spot starter. He is not right now where he is in his career a a long term starter. So uh, I would go for uh, a left tackle would be my thing, and then I guess man, I, there's so so much is in the air about the cornerback position. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I add more depth there. I guess that I, yeah. I guess it would be a position that we would need to attack, especially if the nickel cornerback situation doesn't doesn't fill itself out. Uh, we might be looking at more guys. Like I know we looked very heavily at Mike Hughes, the corner the, the corner out of uh, UCF, Jair Alexander out of out of Louisville. Both guys could have played corner. Uh, they got selected before we picked in the in the in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe Hughes slipped. It. No, I think it went to the Vikings. So, uh, but yeah, that might be a position that you're looking at as well. Um, I would say that the only thing I'll say about the 2019 draft is they've collected an awful lot of picks. That's not for no reason. Uh, and I firmly believe that I, I subscribe to the Kiss and Solak theory of who gives a shit about 
the, the you know fourth round and below, honestly, uh, or fifth right. round and below. So I would assume that they are going to trade up heavily with all those uh, compensatory picks and whatever that they have kind of floating around there to keep getting back into the first, second, and third round so they can replenish the farm and have as many chances at whatever they're trying to solve at that point and for the future, have it ready to go. I would probably say wide receiver becomes more of a thing, but that's not uh, knowing what the landscape of the uh, wide receiver or free agents of the uh, for, uh, yeah wide receiver free agents in 2019, uh, not off the top of my head. So that being said, uh, we appreciate you hanging in for the hour plus that you have uh, been with us for the training camp uh, primer and uh, the rest of the way we'll just be uh, doing a lot of like, you know, 20 to 30 minute updates on uh, on what was going on and hopefully there's no humongous drama although there always tends to be whether it's a good or bad with this team. Michael Kiss, your final thoughts as we're heading out, sir. Uh, nothing, man. I mean, we we all we got, we all we need. That's the typical end to my show. We're doing this on the main episode, so thank you for uh having me on with you. It was fun, but we have to do this more often. I I very much enjoy your company, John. Well, I uh I appreciate that, sir. There'll probably be a lot more uh, Barchard and Kesta along the way uh, through this process as well. So uh, for me, I want to thank everybody for listening to episode number 322, especially those down in Mexico, right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and BGNRadio.com. We'll see you guys. Mm-hmm.